Good morning. Hey, I don't know if you noticed when you came in today, but um, the blood people are here, and you have a chance. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Um, I, I just want to encourage you, um, if you're able today to take some time and give blood, you can do that um, after the service. Is that something that you can do? Probably. If you have blood in your veins, you can probably do that. Will it hurt? Maybe just a little. For some of you, will it be uncomfortable to do that? Yes, it will. But the impact to people that you don't know yet um, is huge. If it were your spouse or kid or best friend and they needed you to donate blood, would you do it? Absolutely. I think everybody would. Um, Just know that the people who need blood are somebody's spouse and kid and parent and best friend. And so I, I just... I can't do it right now, but after second service, I'm going to head on over and give my blood too. So uh, hopefully you can do that. Hey, I want to say hi to the people who are online, um, you all who are watching there. I know that we have people in Florida that are watching. Hey, people in Massachusetts that are watching and people who are here kind of local that are still just kind of being cautious about COVID and that's cool. I, I was thinking about it this morning and I think, I, I long for the time that we will all be able to worship together in person. If that's not here, it's going to be in heaven, yep. right? And that's cool. So we're glad you're here. Glad you're with us. Hope you'll be encouraged uh, today. Um, the, uh, I, uh, one last thing I want to say is I want to invite you to join us as we continue the conversation about the message every Tuesday. We have a thing, a podcast called North Point Plus. That podcast is driven by questions that you ask about the message or comments, or even if, you've, if there's stuff that you think, oh, I've been thinking about that, and that is maybe challenging me to, do, to take some action step. Um, in the app, there's the ability to send a question. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Why is he cough so much? That's the question that you need to send. Um, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, but, but, but feel free to join in the, in the conversation to help establish that. You can do that in the app by just sending questions uh, to the tab that's there, and that would be great. Lots of times, um, I'm not clear who's ever speaking. There may be things that, that, we, um, that don't make it into the message, um, but do make it into the podcast. So we hope you'll, you'll uh, take advantage of that, take part in that. We, we've spent the last six weeks talking about the week that led up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Um, it's, I, I've loved this series, Jesus Is, because we've talked about all the different parts of it. If you think through that last week of Jesus' life before his resurrection, he comes into Jerusalem um, uh, on Sunday and has that triumphal entry. On Monday, he walks by the fig tree, curses the fig tree, goes into the temple, turns the tables over. On, on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, <coughs> excuse me, wow, <coughs> I had some water and it's right there causing that. Anyway, on Tuesday and Wednesday, Jesus goes into the temple and teaches on Thursday, he celebrates the Passover with his closest friends. After the Passover, Thursday night, he goes to the garden to pray. Ultimately, the, the guards come and arrest him on Thursday night. He spends Thursday night during the night in the house of Caiaphas, um, the high priest, kind of on trial. 
And then Friday morning, he goes to see Pilate and then Herod and then Pilate again before he ultimately walks through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying his cross and is nailed to the cross um, and is put in the grave late in the day, three o'clock, four o'clock in the day on Friday. Um, he stays there till Sunday morning when he comes back to life and comes out of the empty tomb. Yeah, uh, this is like extension of Easter. Yeah, good, good stuff, right? Um, uh, and, and then, and this is kind of the lead into today's message. Um, Jesus appears on, on that Sunday night, on the day of his resurrection. He appears on Sunday night to 10 of the disciples. Thomas isn't there. Judas has already killed himself. But he's there and talks to them. And they encounter Jesus for the first time. A week later on Sunday night, Jesus is there. And this time, Thomas is there. And then um, during that time, for the next 40 days from Jesus' resurrection, Acts 1 tells us, Jesus interacts with people, as many as 500 people at one time, see and talk to Jesus. It wasn't a figment of their imagination. It wasn't something that they just kind of drummed up and said, oh, this would be a good story. They saw and encountered Jesus. One of, the, one of the encounters takes place on the Sea of Galilee, probably on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, where the disciples are out fishing in the Sea of Galilee, doing what they had done before. And they're, they're not catching anything. And there's this guy on the seashore that says, hey, throw your net on the other side. And they do, and it, there are so many fish there that it slows the boat down. Peter recognizes that it's Jesus jumps off the boat, swims to shore, and it's, it's in that morning breakfast where Jesus is cooking fish for his, for his friends that Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. Um, and there's that encounter. That all takes place in those 40 days. Um, at the end of those 40 days, Jesus gives some last instruction to his disciples before he ultimately supernaturally just is taken up in heaven. He, he ascends into heaven in a way that Hollywood can't even make it with CGI, right? Jesus physically goes into heaven um, before their eyes. Really, really cool thing. Um, all of that, all of that happens in the six weeks after Jesus' resurrection, okay? 40 days is a little bit less than 42. Six times seven is 42. Are you tracking with me? Don't make us do math, Rick, please, all right? Uh, teach us God's word, not math today, all right? Um, let, let me share, just jumping into the message. Um, some of you remember this, uh, a few of you. Many of you have heard it, read about it. On September 12, 1962, President John Kennedy spoke these words in a speech at Rice University. He said this, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard, because the goal that will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge, that, that goal will serve to do that. That challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win. Those words set in motion a path during the 1960s that had scientists, mathematicians, astronomers, medical doctors, singularly focused on one mission, to land a man on the moon in that decade. The byproducts of Kennedy's speech at Rice University that day 
the byproducts that happen have impacted our lives today in ways that we can't fathom. The techno technological changes that happened as a result of that. Um, so many different things. Uh, computers, communication, water filtration systems, solar power, air purifiers, home insulation, shock absorbers on buildings for earthquakes, wireless headsets, all of that came out of the quest to land a man on the moon in a really short period of time. A clear, focused mission. A clear mission can change the world. Um, we've, we've talked a lot uh, over the last six weeks about who Jesus is, that Jesus is power over death. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is king. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is serious. Jesus is guilty even on, um, I, that he was pronounced guilty. And last week, that Jesus is alive. Today, I want us to look at one final aspect of this Jesus is series. As we look at the final chapter of Jesus' life on earth, and it's this, Jesus is on mission. Jesus is on mission. He understood what it was to live out his mission. Jesus lived a life on, on mission. He understood who he was. He knew why he came to earth. He knew why he had to go to the cross. His mission, his purpose, it drove every aspect of his life here on earth. Living on mission um, drove Jesus to do what he did, and it drove Jesus for why he was going to do it. He understood what God had called him to do. When Jesus was just 12 years old, he went with his family. Every, uh, well, as he was a, a kid growing up, Scripture tells us that they went every year from Nazareth to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover. And when Jesus was 12, he went with his family to, to Jerusalem for Passover. His family left after Passover was done. And um, if, if you remember the story, Mary and Joseph are, are gone. Um, they realize once they're almost home that Jesus isn't with them. They go back to Jerusalem to find him. For three days, Jesus is talking and teaching the religious leaders there in the temple in Jerusalem at 12 years old. Um, Mary and Joseph come to him and they say, what are you doing? You've had us worried sick. Why did you do this? And Jesus responds really interestingly. He says, what's the, what's the big deal? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? Didn't you know that I would be doing what I was called to do? Even at 12 years old, Jesus understood his mission here on earth. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Luke, uh, Luke tells us, he describes the, one of the first times that Jesus talks publicly in a way that it just becomes clear that Jesus knows his mission. Let's, let's read Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is after he's been baptized. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you understand? Jesus knew exactly why he'd come. His purpose, his mission was clear. What was Jesus' mission? It was to proclaim good news. It was, it was to rescue prisoners, to bring freedom to prisoners, to recover sight for blind, to set oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' mission was clear. He came to bring hope and to rescue people. Um, Jesus knew his mission. Um, Jesus lived that out during the three years of his ministry. The reason that he healed people, the reason that he taught, the reason why he fed large crowds of people, the reason why he comforted people who were grieving, the reason that he challenged the religious leaders, the reason that he called people to a relationship with God that was different than they ever experienced before, a call to holiness and having an understanding, a right relationship with God. The reason that he did that was because he knew that was his mission. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is walking in Jericho, um, and, and he encounters a man in a tree uh, that he's climbed that tree in order to be able to, to see him. This man, this, this guy named Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, um, you know, Zacchaeus wasn't the shortest guy in the Bible. You know who was? Nehemiah. Sorry. Just making sure you're with me. Um, so he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. Um, I, I think Zacchaeus was in the tree not just because he was short, but because he was so despised by the Jewish people as a tax collector, because he had ripped off so many people that no one would allow them to be with him. So it was safer for him to climb the tree. He could see Jesus better because he was short, but he was also distant. As Jesus walks by, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner. He didn't ask him. He said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. He invites himself over and he eats with Zacchaeus and his friends. And in that encounter, something incredibly interesting happens because Jesus is surrounded by people that, the, that good Jews didn't like. They despised. They looked down on. In the middle of dinner, being with Jesus convicted Zacchaeus of what was wrong in his life. And in the middle of dinner, Zacchaeus stands up and says, look, if, if I've stolen from anybody, if I've cheated anybody, I want to make it right. I'm going to give them four times what I've what I've taken from them. Um, Zacchaeus essentially says to his buddies, I'm gonna quit living the life of a rich guy and I'm gonna make myself poor because of my encounter with Jesus. Jesus says something really interesting in Zacchaeus' house, Luke 19. He says this, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus knew his mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. Let me just say this to you today. Because I know some of you are here today and, and all of the stuff of life is just overwhelming and you're here just kind of grasping for something that you can hold on to. Jesus came for you. He came to find you. He came to rescue you. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't just know his mission. He lived out his mission on a daily basis. I've known a few people in my life that had that kind of grasp on who they were and, um, and, and the purpose of their life, what they were called to do. Last Sunday after our Easter services were done, Deb and I hopped in the car and we drove to Rockville, Maryland for the funeral services of a man that probably uh, very few of you would ever have heard of, a, a guy named Ken Mead. He was, a, he was the preacher, the pastor at uh, Church of Christ at Manor Woods in Rockville, Maryland for 46 years. He went there as a, as a young guy, worked on Capitol Hill so that he could help start the church. Um, and, and he served as a pastor of this church for 46 years. He was given two honorary doctorates. He was the president of a, of a convention, of a conference that served about 6,000 churches here in the, in the U.S. And I worked alongside him for 12 years. Ken, in all of his life, from the time that he was very young until the time that he died, uh, uh, on, uh, what, three, four weeks ago. Um, he signed every letter, every card that he wrote, and he wrote thousands. He, he would sign every letter. Keep looking up. God is always there. His life verse, his mission that, like if you ask him, Ken, what, what is it that, that you're here for? He, he would quote Philippians 121. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His purpose was so clear in everything he did from the time that he was working and leading a church until the day that he died. Even in retirement, he, he had a ministry to the people in the neighborhood where he lived, talking to them, finding out what was going on, allowing God to use him to touch other people's lives. Um, what's the singular focus of your life? What is your mission? What's your life first? What is it that God has called you to do? Who is it that God has called you to be? What is your mission? In the 1800s in England, there was an author who wanted to be taken very seriously, who wanted to capture people's thoughts and minds. The author's name was Mary Evans. At that time in history, she knew that a woman author would not be taken seriously. The only thing that women could really write were romance novels and have any kind of distribution of, of their work. So she wrote under a pen name um, so that she could write something more substantive and make a difference in the world around her. Her pen name was George Eliot. She wrote these words, what makes life dreary is absence of motive or mission. What makes life complicated is multiplicity of motive. What makes life victorious is singleness 
of motive. Does that resonate with you? Man, that makes tons of sense to me because when I get distracted, it's usually because I'm trying to do way too many things, heading in too many different areas. What makes life victorious is singleness of motive, knowing your mission. What is it that drives your life? What is it that makes you get up in the morning? What is it that lights your fire, that gives you purpose and joy? If you're serious about following Jesus, where does that commitment that you made to Jesus fit in the answer to those questions? If our commitment is to follow Jesus no matter what, how does that impact our mission here on earth? Um, If you've been around North Point for very long, you know that we don't usually talk a lot about being a Christian. Like we don't use the Christian word a ton. It's not that we're opposed to it because it's there in scripture. But for so many people, they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, which means that they might go to church a few times a year, that they have a Bible, um, that they believe in God, and that they know that Jesus died and that he rose again, and they don't want to go to hell. And that makes them a Christian. We tend to talk much more about being a Christ follower, about being a disciple of Jesus. And we define discipleship this way. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus wherever he goes, who's being changed by Jesus, changed in the way that they think, in the way that they act, in the way that they respond to the world around them, and who is living committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is somebody who's following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, who's committed to the mission of Jesus. It's not enough to just go to church, to just put some money in the offering, to just be a good person, to help the poor. We've got to follow Jesus, be changed by him, and live committed to his mission. Jesus' mission is our mission. Jesus' mission has to become our mission. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Here's the question. Is that a mission that you want to embrace? To seek and save the lost. A number of years ago, I was serving at a church in in Columbus, Ohio, um, and a music group came in and, um, and they were towards the end of their tour. And I, I remember talking to them. It was, it was fun to just hear where they'd been. They had sung in Florida and they had, they had been to Disney World. This is the early 80s. Um, Disney had only been open in Orlando about 10 years at that point in time. And they were talking about how great it was to be at Disney, what they experienced, all that kind of stuff. And one guy in the group, um, it was just really interesting because he talked about Disney and he said that he stood for about two hours the afternoon that they were there at Main Street, on Main Street in front of Cinderella's castle and just looked out at the people who were walking in Disney World and thought, how many of them don't know Jesus? How many of them will face eternity without any hope because they don't know Jesus? Um, I remember that conversation, and that's been almost 40 years ago. 
I remember that conversation because it reminded me of the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples as he walked into Jerusalem and he looked out at the city and he just saw people who were hopeless and, and, and helpless. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only, if only I could gather you like hen gathers her chicks and just love on you and help you see what God has for you. That was the perspective of that guy. I remember that conversation because it convicted me. Because I'd been to Disney, uh, I think the year before, a couple of years before, and it was the farthest thing from my mind to think about the lostness of the people that were there. But since that conversation, I can't tell you how many times I've thought, as I sat in the horseshoe in Columbus, as I sat in Ann Arbor at the stadium this past year, as I've been in places where there are tens of thousands of people, how many people are living life without any hope for eternity? About a month ago, I was at a conference. I was in a workshop at a conference, and the speaker was talking about the number of people in our world today who live a life in the digital world, if that makes any sense. Um, it's not just that, that they're home because of COVID. It's not just that they're working remotely. Their life is lived in a virtual world. Their friendships, their connections to people happen with people literally all over the world, other cultures, that kind of thing. That's the people that they connect with digitally. Um, they're, they're the people who come home from work, from their real jobs, and hop on the computer and are interacting with people from, the, from that point in time until the time they go to bed. That's the world that they live in. Um, the guy who was leading the work, workshop said something that really challenged me. He said, if we ignore those people, if we say, um, you know what, that's not real life, if we don't pay attention to them, we essentially say to those people who live in the digital world, to hell with them, I don't care about them. It convicted me because I think as a church, we've got to begin to permeate that world in a way that we haven't yet. Mark has helped us so much. We're doing, we're doing so much more in that realm. But man, there's a world of people who, unless they encounter Jesus through people like us, will face their death without any hope. If we're serious about being disciples of Jesus, if we're serious about following Jesus, about being changed by Jesus, about being committed to the mission of Jesus, our mission in life, the thing to which we commit our lives, becomes clear because we're committed to the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Matthew 28, Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven and he calls his disciples together and he says to them, look, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. You need to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I'm with you. I'm with you to the end, to the very end of the age. In Acts chapter 1, Luke describes uh, kind of a similar time. He, he says, um, uh, on, on one occasion, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father has promised the Holy Spirit. 
John baptized with water. In a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gather and they say, God, uh, Jesus, is, is this the time that you're, gonna, that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. He says, it's not for you to know the time or dates when the Father has set, which the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And after he said that, he ascended into heaven. Jesus' mission never changed. His mission was redemption, to seek and save the lost, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to rescue those who were enslaved. Jesus came to redeem individuals. He came to redeem the Jews. He came to redeem the Gentiles. He came to redeem the least of these, the people who are on the margins of society. Jesus Jesus' mission was for his followers, for us, to take up his mission, to take the baton from him, and to be his witnesses, and to go into areas of the world where he leads us. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? How did he respond? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, Jesus was clear. What, what was our mission to love God, to love people and make disciples. Love God, love people, and make disciples. After the 11 o'clock service last week, we had three baptisms. It was incredibly cool to see Jake and Mike and Crystal publicly declare their love for Jesus, cement their decision to be a disciple of Jesus by living out his death, burial, and resurrection. Take a look on screen. I kind of told your story already. You did. And you know, <laughs> five years ago, I would never have believed, I, like you said before, I, I wouldn't have been coming to Easter service, let alone I would have bet a million dollars I wouldn't be being baptized. <laughs> and so I am very, uh, but you know, Rick has helped me come to God, and there's no question at all that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, I just want you to repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. The Son of God. And I take him as my Lord and Savior. I take him as my Lord and Savior. You're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promise wow. of the Holy Spirit in you, uh, living inside you. Some of you have been around a while. About two and a half years ago, we had a dance team come and perform as part of our worship service. And um, Mike's daughter was in that dance team, and he came to church for the first time. And he was hurting. You were in crisis. And he hasn't hardly missed a Sunday since then. And we had a conversation after second service, and he said, I know God's with me. I, you know, I, I'm following him. I love him. And um, and I said, you ready to be baptized? And he said, yeah, I am. And I said, why not today? So Mike, I just want you to repeat too what, what I said with Jake. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. The Son of God. And I take him as my Lord and Savior. And I take him as my Lord and Savior. Mike, because of that confession, you're being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And so the Holy Spirit will live in you. Thank <laughs> you.
This is Crystal Bates. And uh, she said, I have been waiting for this moment for a long time, for an opportunity. What do you want to share? Uh, just that God's been working in my life. Um, I was in a very dark place not that many years ago. And I fell to the ground, hit my knees, cried, and, and begged for help. And when I was at the end of myself, he came and he saved me. And ever since then, I've been devoting my life to Christ. And this is just the next step in my journey to being a better Christian, being a better disciple, being the woman he's creating me to be. Crystal, if you would just repeat those words as well. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. The Son of God. I take him as my Lord and Savior. I take him as my Lord and Savior. All right. Crystal, because of that confession, because you have confessed Jesus as Lord, you're being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise that you have given itself. Uh, if you want to celebrate with Mike, he's right down here after the service. Give him a hug. That would be cool. You know, that was incredibly cool. It was just a great way to celebrate Easter. But you know what matters most? It's, it's not that three people got wet. What matters most is that in a year, in three years, in five years, in 20 years, that Mike and Crystal, that Jake, they're living out the mission of Jesus until Jesus returns. It matters for them, it matters for us. Jesus is on mission. If we want to follow Jesus, if we're serious about following Jesus, we need to go where Jesus is going. We've gotta embrace his mission. We've gotta live out a life on mission. Now, the, the, the bottom line is, if we don't care about what Jesus cared about, we're fooling ourselves. If we don't care about what Jesus cared about, cared about, we don't care about Jesus. We care about ourselves. The calling that we have is tremendous. This week, I read these words about us embracing the mission of Jesus the greater the danger, the greater the urgency. The greater the value, the longer the effort. The greater the love, the greater the joy. That captures what it looks like to live on mission with Jesus. Most of us have surrounded ourselves, filled our lives with good people, people who look pretty good, who smell pretty good, who for the most part act pretty good. But it doesn't, being good doesn't matter. Even if they're good people without Jesus, they're lost. Lost people matter to God. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why Jesus was on mission. Our mission at North Point is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Chris, Chris already mentioned that. All people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. All people. That's people in your workplace, people whose kids play sports with yours. That's the barista at Big B's, the guy who works in the hardware store, the person who runs the register at Meyer, the people who live at Rotunda uh, Trailer Park, the teachers at the school, 
the people who irritate you on Facebook and social media. All people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our vision at North Point, the thing that's, that we want to help us accomplish that mission over the next several years is that everybody who calls North Point home would see Jesus working in their lives and be sharing that in their sphere of influence. That you would see Jesus changing you, that as you follow him, as you're being changed by him, as you're committed to mission, you would see him working in your life. And that you'd be sharing that with people that you have relational context with. Today's message is really a one-thought message. Jesus was on mission to seek and save the lost. And that's my mission too. If you're serious about following Jesus, that's your mission as well. Uh, my guess is that many of you are saying, I get that. I, I just don't know how. How do I do that? I got good news. Next week, we start a series that we're, that we're calling Who Cares? For four weeks, we're just gonna talk about what that looks like. We're gonna spend four weeks talking about what it means to live out the mission of Jesus. Sometimes we say, who cares, and it's just kind of a flippant attitude, and it's so, hopefully in that series, there'll be some conviction that says, if we say, oh yeah, people are dying and going to hell, who cares? It will challenge that. Sometimes um, there are people in our lives that are crying out for help, that are saying, who cares? Who cares about me? Who cares about the stuff that's going on in my life? And, and there'll be some ways that we can interact with them. And sometimes we need to stop everything else that we think is so important, that defines us, and look into the eyes of Jesus, the one who lived his life on mission, and answer his question to us, who cares? It's not about shame. It's not about guilt. It's about holding up a mirror for us and saying, am I living on mission? Am I living out my commitment to follow Jesus? Um, the clarity of the mission, the accomplishment of the mission changes the way that we live our lives. 60 years later, Kennedy's mission impacts us still today. It impacts people that Kennedy never even thought of, never knew, never dreamt of. Jesus' life on mission has impacted thousands Millions for the last 2,000 years. His mission has impacted your life or you wouldn't be here today. Who knows? Who knows who will be impacted both now and in the future if Jesus doesn't return uh, sooner by your decision to live on mission as well. Let's pray. Father God, I... I, I um, I just ask that you, would, that you would trouble us with that question, whether or not we're living on mission. God, I thank you that Jesus was absolutely clear in terms of his, of his purpose, that he knew who he was, why he was here. God, help us, help us to embrace his mission. Help us to take it up. Help us to live it out. 